And to all of you who do watch our services for various reasons, maybe you're, you're shut in and you can't get out and about, uh, we just wanted to pause and say, God bless you. And God, uh, we're glad you're watching. We're glad you're here with us that way. We just want to be a blessing to you and to encourage you. Uh, where should I go? <laughs> Sorry, guys, but that is right in the eyes there. So anyway, um, this is a great series we're involved in, and I'm glad to be a part of it. My name is Dave Wicks. I'm on staff here at the church, uh, which is a great joy to be a part of this uh, great body of believers. And uh, yeah, this what we're doing here this morning is a continuation of what actually started way back when some of those things were being formed. God was stirring in the hearts of our church leadership that we needed to be active in discipling. And uh, we sort of developed into it, I'm probably making people mad, so I'll just move back here and suffer. Um, um, I'm also a little bit concerned about the reflection, so <clears throat> you'll be blinded by the light, you know. But this thing began to burn. It was in our lead pastor. It, it stirred in his heart. And um, just recently, again, it kind of another wave of this kind of came through. And we really decided uh, that we were going to move into this and stay in this. We're going to stay in this state of mind and this state of heart that we will continue to uh, pursue being disciple makers. And we know we, we think we've got it figured out, but we're constantly learning how do we effectively share faith and how do we help people move on down the line in their, in their Christian life and growth. And so I'm just glad Peter, uh, pardon me, Pastor Kurt last week kind of launched this with repent and believe. And now this, my turn this week is to speak about baptism, which I'm going to do. And... Uh, but before I do that, I just want to read again the Great Commission. I think we need to just kind of keep coming back and coming back and, and seeing the final words of Christ. He's, he's soon to depart this planet, and he's, he's saying some final things to his followers, and this has been handed now on down to us, that we too have to take up this, this great challenge. <clears throat> Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 to 20 then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. Our God is a God of all nations. And his heart is for all nations, all peoples. And that's our challenge, is to go and make disciples of literally the planet, to go far and wide, cross our streets, whatever baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Baptizing. We're going to have an object lesson this morning as we celebrate with people who are taking this step in their life. And then Jesus gives us a great promise. Surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. And I, you know, when you get up here once in a while, you got hobby horses, you just got to get off your chest, right? And I had this great rant that I was going to dive into now, but... As I thought more about it and looked at what I had written down, I realized really what I need to do is make an apology. Uh, my generation of pastoral people, I'm 75, 
Uh, our faith journey started in 1973, and uh, we started in the midst of the Jesus People Revolution. You're gonna, some of us are gonna see that film soon, uh, if you haven't already, and uh, we did dive into evangelism, and then it kind of left us. And I think as one of the church leaders for all these years in between 76 and now, I'm realizing that I have, in all fairness, I probably dropped the ball. Let me explain. I, I sat and thought through, why is it that the Western world church, the affluent church of Western North America and so on, why, why have we not done better? in sharing our faith and seeing people come to faith and making disciples who make disciples. Why didn't we do better? And I thought, well, because people like me and maybe many others like me, we didn't, we didn't do well in what we taught. Now let me explain. Um, we, we did well in some things and we didn't do well. The, the, one of the great scriptures that's part of this teaching series is 2 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 17 to 20. I just want to read that, and I think you'll see, maybe you'll see my point emerge as we read it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation in Christ. He's the crea new creation has come. The old is gone, the new is here. All of this is from God, who reconciled us to himself through Christ. I think we've done well with that. I think my generation taught that really well. We tried to model that. We tried to, to live in that, that we were this new creation in Christ. We, we taught about having security and assurance and confidence that you're something brand new and God loves you. We tried to express that as best we could. But as we read further into the passage, I think you'll see what we've not done well. It says, he gave us the ministry of reconciliation. I'm a new creation. He's given me the ministry of reconciliation, that God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against him, and he has committed to us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. I think we got halfway through the program, and we just kind of stayed there and recycled. I don't think we really taught, modeled, mentored, trained, walked with people so that they can become an ambassador of Christ. We kind of meant, uh, ended up sort of saying, meeting here is the most important thing in your life. It is important in your life. It is. But it's to meet here to be out there. <laughs> and we've not done the out there very well. And so I just want to say that I think part of the problem for the modern church is that we've not discipled people into a place where they feel confident and they know it's their responsibility even to go and share their faith. And I say that of myself. I remember as a brand new Christian, I witnessed everybody I met. Had no idea what I was saying, but I told them something. But then I became lost maybe in the system a bit. Secondly, the gospel only succeeds when the person speaking it is really spirit-filled. 
this, this great message that we can, we can have the words, but the words only have meaning and power when the Holy Spirit is really in our lives. And I can see places in my life where I was in the ministry and doing things, but I was living in such a way that I was not really spirit-filled. God hadn't abandoned me. I was still secure in my faith, but my operational favor that God would give me was limited because I wasn't every place I should be in my life. I read this in a book lately, and maybe it expresses this well. While we are loved unconditionally, we are only as useful in the kingdom as we are yielded. I'm secure in Christ, my salvation is sure, but my effectiveness is tempered by where I'm at in my life. My attitudes, my heart, my inner thinking, all of those things. So first of all, the, the, the messenger has to be really spirit-filled. That's part of it. Uh, Peter's such an incredible example. The day of Pentecost is such a perfect place to have a look because this is the same guy who denied even knowing Jesus to a young woman, plus others. I never met him. No, I didn't know Jesus. No, no, and then he even cursed and swore about it. That's Peter. But now we're meeting Peter on, the, on Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when he's been filled with the Spirit. God has captured this man's heart, and now he stands up to the crowd of people who just hours, days ago, crucified Christ, and he tells them that's what they did. He said, you crucified Christ. I just see his bony Jewish finger pointing at all these people. You crucified Christ. And when he gets done saying that, the people are like, oh. it says they were cut to their heart and they said, what do we need to do? He said, repent and be baptized. Powerful anointing on the messenger, but also the need for a clear message. And uh, if you're like me, when you first saw the 411 thing, did you have a reaction? I was like, oh, come on. You know, I know the gospel. And I kind of I got stuck on the simplicity of it and the clarity of it. And then I began to realize, so I tried it on someone. I began to realize we not only need to be anointed, we need to be clear. It has to be simple and understandable. For, uh, 1 Corinthians 14.8 says, if the trumpet doesn't sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? When we encounter somebody and it's our opportunity to share the Christian gospel, keep it simple, keep it short. 15-second testimony, have you tried to do that? Have you tried? Anybody? I can't see you, so just nod, wave, yell or something, flash your cameras at me, then I'll know. I'm blinded by the light still. But um, it's all good. I'm just being smart alecky now, so sorry. But we need to be clear. Keep it simple. Tell your story. Don't talk about your behaviors. Did you get caught in that? Some of us got caught in that. We became Christians. If you're really a wretched drug-addled wreck of a person. People wanted to hear how bad you really were and all the bad stuff you'd done. It's not about behavior. Behavior was not my problem. My heart was. My heart was sick and broken. Let's keep it simple to the, not the 
not the behavior to the, but to the actual heart issues. And the final piece of the rant or the apology is this, kingdom confusion. Um, if you know your church history, there were several people that are recorded in history, usually talked about in heroic terms, and these people were not all bad, but it was something different. Constantine, Augustine, uh, Charlemagne, and Jerry Falwell. Got you on that one. You think I didn't know what I was talking about, eh? The kingdom of God is not the same as the kingdom of the world. The kingdom of God is not the same at all as the kingdom of the world. The symbol of the kingdom of God is Calvary. It's the cross. We celebrated that this morning in having communion. That's the core of it. It's love, sacrifice. The kingdom of the world is power. Power over to control. I, as this is stirring within me, I've been disturbed lately by listening to the news, and don't misread me, just hear what my heart. When Israel started to attack Hamas after that horrible day of October the 7th, at first I found myself kind of internally cheering as, as, they, as these bad people were being punished. And then I thought, but Jesus said, love your enemies. How do we reconcile that? The kingdoms are different. One kingdom, and we're hearing this, this phrase over and over again right now, retaliation, retaliate. We're going to retaliate. There's going to be a bombing retaliation for attacking our bases. That's the kingdom of the world. It's always payback, punishment, power over, controlling other people's behavior. And Jesus said, I come in love to transform your heart. I think we as Christians sometimes spend too much of our good time working for the wrong kingdom and trying to work in the wrong kingdom. We are called out to another kingdom. What was that verse says? Seek first what? Yeah. Then let's do that first. We live in the kingdom of the world in a sense, but that's not our kingdom. So, rant over. I feel so much better now that I've... But honestly, I was haunted by the fact, like, why aren't we more effective? What, what holds us back? And I would challenge all of us to have a little God talk about, with yourself and say, Lord, why, why am I not better at sharing? Why don't I do that? Why am I not finding ways to, to share the love of Christ with those around me in my family or my workplace or whatever? Lord, help me to get over the hurdles that I do that. What is baptism? It's a symbolic act, symbolizes death, burial, and resurrection, and can only be done by immersion. That's the Bible dictionary. I thought that was kind of fun. Um, going under the water represents death and burial of, of Jesus Christ, but it also represents the death of our natural selves. Romans chapter 6, verse 3 to 6. So as we're going to just quickly, and I can see the time now, thank you, um, we're going to look at what they did because if you want to understand the theology of baptism, take a look at what the people who heard the Great Commission, they didn't read it, they heard it, what did they do? 
when they heard him say, go and make disciples, baptizing them, uh, preaching the gospel, all of those good things, what did, what, did, what did they do? What was their practice? What did they begin to do? We can, we can learn by observing, and we would do well to do it the way they did it because they were the first-generation Christians. And so Peter preached, uh, repent and be baptized. I just want you to notice one thing, and I, I, I kind of chuckled about this all week, knowing that I was going to be sharing at a baptismal service. So <laughs> Acts chapter 2, verse 41, after Peter preaches his great message, 3,000 people respond. And it says they were added to the church and they were baptized that day. How busy was that day? We're going to baptize a couple or one or two people here. Imagine if you had to stay here until we got all 3,000 through. I'm just saying, like, was it messy? Was it overwhelming? Was it whatever? But it, it's what they did. If you believe... You will be baptized because they were preaching. The gospel included the obedience of baptism. It was part of the message. One of the really fun stories in the book of Acts is the story of the, of the North African uh, uh, political figure who travels up to Jerusalem. He's a God seeker. And by the way, here's a little rabbit trail. I think our culture is full of God seekers. I do with all my heart. I think there's people out there, they're saying, there's got to be some answers. I can't find the answers. There's got to be some way. I've already achieved financial success and my life seems hopeless. What's missing? They're seeking something. So we need to realize that people are out there. So this guy's traveled up to Jerusalem. He's reading the book of Isaiah. Check out Isaiah 53 and see if that's a good gospel passage. He's reading this and he's coming back and he's gone to Jerusalem to the, to the center of faith in a sense he didn't find anything and he's going home he's he's kind of weirded out by it all it's like I, all this way I went seeking I didn't find but Philip God says okay Philip I know you're in an evangelistic crusade and it's going well but I want you to leave it I want you to go down and stand by a road and wait are you and I prepared to do divine appointment stuff if God says go there and wait Go to that mall and just sit on a chair and wait. You know what I'm saying? Like, are we prepared to just be available and say, okay, God, I'm, I'm just going to believe that you're going to bring somebody that needs to hear. You, you're telling me to go there and I'm going to go. I'm going to do that. So he's waiting there and here comes this guy and he's reading the book of Isaiah and I think Philip says to him, do you understand what you're reading? And he says, no, I don't. He said, Philip... Can you help me? Yeah, I, I can help you. Jumps in the chariot and he starts giving him the gospel. He just listen to the story. Uh, Peter began that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here is water. What can stand in my way to being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Philip must have preached to him about baptism. When he gave him the good story of Jesus, he must have spoke about baptism. How in the world would this guy say, well, 
can I do that? Should I do that now? What? Why not? And Philip said, let's do it. Right there on the spot. Peter has been preaching uh, in the book of Acts. We get that sermon again and again as we read it. Repent and be baptized. In another story, Philip, in another part of uh, Philip's journey, this is actually before what we just read, but he's gone to, I think it's to Samaria, and uh, he's, he's preaching the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, and they were baptized, both men and women. Now, they were Samaritans, so like Jews and Samaritans by the Jewish Christians were somewhat suspect. They had cultural uh, boundaries. You know Peter, we're going to read about him in a minute too, but they just didn't know about these other ethnic groups. They, were, they struggled with it. Even, even deeper into the story of the church, they just didn't know what to do with other people who they thought, I don't know if they can be a part of this. So they send John and uh, Peter down to Samaria to check out these new believers, and they find out uh, that they, uh, they've been baptized, but there's something else that's missing in their life. There is that other part of the Acts story, the, the spirit anointing so that people can be a witness. This is what it was declared in Acts 2. It says they prayed for them, and uh, uh, they received the Holy Spirit. Now, they were already Christians, but this was like another touch of God on a person's life to allow them to have confidence and power to speak the gospel clearly and effectively. Now, Peter himself, Acts chapter 10, uh, he's gone to Cornelius' house, and you know the story of that. He really wrestled with doing that. He didn't think it was a good idea, but God kind of kept twisting his arm. So he goes to the house of this Gentile, and uh, God's going to, we, we kind of get the, and we make an order. We're Western rational minds. We've got A, B, C, D, kind of linear thinking, you know. And so repent, you believe, uh, you get baptized, whatever. So he's preaching. He hasn't got to the altar call yet. He's preaching to these Gentile believers. And he says, everyone who believes in him, Jesus, receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was just saying those words, the Holy Spirit of God had already recognized faith born in these people to follow Christ, even as you're just listening to the words of Peter, happening within minutes, literally. He sees the, the contrition of the heart that they're willing to change their ways, and God chooses to put his Holy Spirit upon them, and they have a day of Pentecost experience just like the Jews had. And, and Peter's shaken by it all, and so are the other uh, Jewish Christians that are there. And he said, well, surely we can't keep them from being baptized in water. Look, <laughs> they've got what we've got. We have to accept that. Something happens when we're baptized. It's part of God's plan to bring us deep into a faith journey. I just want to say this morning, there, I, I've thought about this, and if, if it's you, you don't have to identify yourself, but you may be someone who's been a Christian for years and just 
from circumstances or just choices that you've made, you have not had water baptism. You need to understand from looking at the book of Acts that that is standard operating procedure. This is what happens. This is part of our journey. This is how we go forward in our Christian life. This is how we go down the discipleship trail. We believe, we repent, and we are baptized in water. It's an act of obedience. It's an act of faith. And again, I want to say, if you're here and you've not done this, I'm not saying you should run up here and get it done today. Could be in trouble if I said you could, but I'll tell you, if you don't do it today, you better talk to, talk to our pastor and say, you know, I need to do this. I need to do this. It's, it's not an option. You need to do this. Baptism is incredibly important. It's also a public declaration. Baptism, you are declaring that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. It's a public confession of your faith and your commitment to Jesus Christ. It is the next step after salvation that rep- through repentance and faith, and it's important, it's an important foundation for the Christian life. Romans 6, 4 says, We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead to the glory of God the Father, we too may live a new life. I'm going to close with a very brief story. 1973, some of you know my story well, came to faith in Calgary, messed up life. My wife and I both had lived a hard and dangerous life. We came to faith. I came to faith by myself in the apartment. I knew the gospel from childhood. I just surrendered to Christ. My wife did it a couple of weeks later in our fort, the church we went to in Calgary, Forest Lawn Church, pastor led her to faith. We were baptized in May. So in, in May at the baptismal service, I was excited about it. I had all kinds of aspirations of being a mighty man of God. So I thought, when I get baptized, there will be organ music, the heavens will open, probably be some angels in the room, and I will have a special beam of light on myself like this that will blind me. And uh, No, I'm, I'm being kind of goofy, but honestly, I was immature, very, very, very immature and very, very insecure and all those negative things. So we have the baptismal service, and, you know, reading what we just read here about rising to newness of life, I'd I'd gone in the tank, and I come out, and I didn't feel a thing. There were no lights, no organ music, no sensations. I just felt I had a migraine headache, actually. And I was pouty. I was belligerent. So I left the tank, went into the back room. I was changing out of the wet clothes, and I'm, I'm just angry at God. I'm, I thought this whole thing's kind of a crock. Like, what happened? I didn't get the big thing. And I was all like, what? And then I heard this song playing in my brain. Stairway to heaven. And I'll tell you, that song's not about a stairway to heaven. That's a stairway to hell. And I'm thinking in the words of that song, you know, the piper's calling you to join him. It's not too late to change your road, the road you're on. And I, this voice, this force was pulling me. There was an exit out of the church right there. 
And I thought, I'm going to leave. I'm going to run out of the church building. I'm checking out. I'm going back to the old way. This is what this, is what this pull was. Come, come back. And I said, no. I'm never going back. When you're baptized, you're, in a sense, you're making a big decision. God, I'm going to follow you. God bless you. Well, on that note, let's lead right into our time of baptism here. We're going to invite uh, both of our baptism candidates to come. So Sophia Gregory is going to come, and then Maya Fisher is going to come, and we're going to baptize Sophia first, and then Maya. And if you are friends and family or supporters of these two, then come with them. We want to have a good crowd here around the baptismal tank. So we'll just gather up here. Turn the microphone over to Doug Sigelko. Oh yeah, let's watch the videos first. 